Or do you know how to shut this light off or it's back to the way it was? Yeah. Yeah. Or off. Okay, so just during the break, someone reminded me, shadow side of admiration is envy. So envy two is another path back, since it too is a projection. So it's another pathway back to your own positive potential. So if I envy him or her, it must be that I have some of that in me. And instead of, instead of making it about envy, what does this tell me about what I have inside myself that I haven't yet released? Second question came up. Oh, yeah. Someone said, talked about how some people, especially like in a relationship, will project things on you. What will they project on you? You're supposed to be the rescuer. You're supposed to be the savior. You're supposed to be the enlightened one. You're supposed to be the strong one. You're supposed to be the uh, one who will parent me. When anybody comes at you with these projections, then you want to speak up. <laughs> and say, please don't project that on me. Because I may not one, I may not fulfill it, and two, uh, everything in your psyche is pointing to you. <laughs> yeah, and then you can duck, but blame it on me. Just say you heard it at the workshop. Okay, and then one last point. Um, someone asked about well, what if you're in a relationship with someone whose ego is so big that he could never admit that he is projecting? He would say, no, you really are to blame. Or, you, you know, you're <laughs> because, of course, he, the ego is so entrenched that it can't allow that it could possibly be anything but perfect. And of course, this will, I think, mess up the relationship. <laughs> uh, it, it lessens the chances for real intimacy. And I was thinking, as this woman was asking this question, about a scene from a movie. I think it was called Communion. Christopher Walken. And in this movie, he, we, we in the audience imagine is being visited from people by people from outer space. And it seems real to him. After a while, we in the audience don't know for sure. That doesn't matter. What matters is he is married, he has a child, <coughs> live in a nice home, have a nice family. But he's become so obsessed with all this about the outer space that he can no longer be present and he's starting to become dysfunctional. So this is the scene I remember. The wife sits him down. She says, you 
have a wonderful wife and a wonderful child. If you keep obsessing on this, you are going to lose both of us. Take your choice. Get some help if you want to keep us. If you want to persist in this, then we're not going to be here. I said, okay, this is tough love. I thought it was good. I thought she spoke well. So you have to ask yourself, hey, would I be able to do something like that? All right, so let's take a look now finally at the negative shadow, admitting that we have one. <laughs> And of course, here you're going to, once again, reach it through the projections. You could also reach it through dreams, but it's a little more complex and difficult. You would have to withdraw the projections by allowing yourself to visit the part of you that is similar to what you find negative in someone else. So you have to allow yourself to go there. And then you have to admit that there's something about what I don't like in him or her that is like me. And then you have to look for the golden kernel, K-E-R-N-E-L, kernel of value. In it, I'll explain what I mean. And then you treat it exactly like your positive shadow. You go to your affirmation. And ask for opportunities to put into practice the quality that you have now transformed. This is the creative part. You have transformed from negative into positive. How do we do this? Well, let's take a simple example. Let's say what you most dislike about others and what you have figured out is a projection is someone who is controlling can't stand controlling people. You get me very upset. Let's say, let's say you're saying that. What is the golden kernel of value that a controlling person definitely has? It's actually more than one. He gets things done. He keeps things in order. He follows through. He may have leadership skills. He's a good coordinator. You can trust him to be like the producer of a movie, the one who pulls everything together, makes sure it happens. 
<clears throat> These are the golden kernels inside the negativity since all coins have two sides. These are the heads of the tail. Tail controlling, heads, leadership, follow through, order, gets things done, coordinator, not afraid of work. So these become your affirmations. <coughs> May I build up my coordinating skills. May I get things done. May I not be afraid of work. May I stay with things, follow them through. Affirmations and aspirations. So the affirmation is more and more I am getting things done. The aspiration, may I have the energy to get things done. You know you have the energy because the energy before was visible in the strong feelings of dislike for the one who is controlling. That's how you know you have the energy because you have the energy toward him. Take it back, hold it one sec, take it back from him and invest it in yourself, and it turns out to show that it has all these values. Okay, question? Does this mean you need to be willing, willing to express the controlling person yourself? You'd have to be willing to admit that I have the controlling qualities first, but I also find something valuable in it, that's what I was projecting. Not just the negative, but the positive. Just as I couldn't have a quarter with just heads or just tails, you can always presume that when you have one, you have the other. What is this other? The golden kernels. And um, every single, this was a very fascinating thing to me, um, when I was first teaching this class, it just dawned on me, it was like a little moment of enlightenment, it dawned on me, every single negative word in the dictionary has a positive side. Just as every positive word has a negative side. So someone who, I have them listed here in the book, someone who is clinging to you has the wonderful quality of loyalty. Someone who is arrogant has the wonderful quality of self-confidence. It just goes on and on. Somebody who um, is foolhardy has the wonderful quality of bravery. Somebody who's lazy has the wonderful quality of knowing how to relax. <laughs> Somebody who lies has a wonderful imagination. <laughs> Etc. So so when you so the list of negatives 
shows what we have disavowed in ourselves and the wonderful gift is the underground spring that may never burst forth as long as the person is caught up in that negative only. This is how we lose. And I give this wonderful quote by Milton uh, in Paradise Lost. These are the close to final words that the Archangel Michael said to our first parents when they were being exiled from the Garden of Eden. And they're just so full of hope. It's unbelievable. He says, he says, oh, by the way, finally, saying to our Adam and Eve, add love to your life. Then will you not be loath to leave this paradise but shall possess a paradise within thee, happier far. If you love, you're going to find a new paradise, and it's even better than this one. Imagine in saying that. I just love it. Then will thou not be loath to leave this paradise, but shall possess, not even find, but shall possess a paradise within thee, happier far. Be happier than this one because it's real. It's not based on if you eat the wrong fruit, you're out. <laughs> it's the real love. No matter what you do, nobody's keeping records of wrongs and you won't be kicked out. Abraham Lincoln, at the end of his first inaugural address, showed how he wanted the transformation of the Confederates, not their destruction. Quote, we are not enemies, but friends. The mystic cords of memory, stretching from every battlefield and patriot grave to every living heart and hearthstone over this broad land, will yet swell the chorus of the Union, when again touched, as surely they will be, by the better angels of our nature. He's saying all the Southerners will be touched by the better angels, and they'll want to come back to the Union. We can see the Civil War and the Union as metaphors for shadow work. Two sides of one nation equal two sides of one person. Union is wholeness, the internal coherence of the self that results from a reconciliation of the opposing sides. Befriending happens at Appomattox, where the ego surrenders to the union and its bosom finds the blessings it had lost. That's the befriending the shadow. It's the courthouse at Appomattox where the two sides finally come together and the side that needs to surrender does so and finds the blessings it had lost. It's not having your nose rubbed in it. It's, oh, 
Look at all the things I had lost out on because of my one-sidedness. Now I can get them all back. Okay. Question on this. So how are we working with this uh, negative shadow? We're acknowledging the projection by allowing ourselves to see how it could be true of us, how it has somehow been true of us. We're admitting that it's somehow true of us. We're looking for the golden kernel that's in it. And because we found something positive creatively, we make that our affirmation. And then we are on the lookout for every opportunity that will point us to acknowledging that positive side and making it part of our life. So now instead of hating those who are controlling, I'm putting more energy into how I get things done, how I stay with projects. <coughs> and when that becomes my interest, I notice that it doesn't bother me so much that other people are the way they are because I have acknowledged something very important about all human experience. You heard the expression, the middle way, or the medieval way of saying it was virtue is always in the middle. On the far left of our horizontal line is defect, not enough. On the far right is excess, too much. The middle way is between the not enough and the too much. Finding that point at which it becomes virtue. So let's use a simple example. Not enough courage is cowardice. Too much courage is foolhardiness, putting yourself at risk for no reason. Right in the middle, courage. When it veers over and loses its energy, it's cowardice. When it overdoes it and exaggerates itself, it's foolhardiness. Both of these are the shadow side of courage. Sometimes the shadow is in defect, not enough. Sometimes the shadow is in too much. What would be the practice? How do I come back to the center? 
What helps us get back to the center? Our loving kindness practice of equanimity. Which balances the two. So this center balances both sides. If I am afraid, there's one thing I know. I have courage. And I know that as well as I know that that quarter in my pocket has a heads and tails. If I know I have courage, I know I can overdo it and go to foolhardiness. So we look at the possibilities in the human experience and we realize, well, you can take your middle road, your middle path, and have the best of both worlds, or you can go to not enough or too much. That's where we get ourselves into trouble. And usually the people upon whom we project are showing excess or defect. So we judge those people. He's cowardly. He's foolhardy. And we bring those judgments back to ourselves and they become wonderful challenges. How can I act with courage? It's like the Buddhist answer to the mystery of human suffering. Why is there AIDS? Medical answer, virus, so forth. Buddhist answer, why is there AIDS? Buddhist answer, what can I do to help those who have AIDS? How do I turn it into a question of service? Why is there poverty? Sociologist answer, Buddhist answer, what can I do to alleviate poverty? You go straight to practice. What can I do to be more courageous? This program, this project of becoming more courageous becomes so fascinating, it drops off my interests in the two extremes. So I don't go there anymore. I only notice them as ornaments of being, not as reasons to be upset. Okay, so let's have some final questions, and then we will end, because we only have about 10, 15 minutes left. So let's have three or four questions, and then we'll wind up. Um, I just wanted to ask you about um, befriending the shadow in working with people who um, engage like in self-harm behaviors or addictions, and how, like, what would the process be to help someone like that with kind of getting in the middle or I just, I can't really um, understand how that works with someone who's like, you know, doing something that's really hurting them and finding something good in that. You'd have to, um, she's asking about addiction, but remember that the shadow is about how we project 
our negative judgments against those who are addicted. So now we would ask ourselves, this one's easy because as that book by Ann Schaaf says, society, the whole society is an addict. So this is an easy one. You can just say, okay, how am I addicted? And I know how hard it is to get over my addiction, so imagine what it's like for this person. This is where our compassion comes in. So the work there would be the compassion and the tough love in combination. The pointing to the program, the 12-step program, which is the answer to addiction. Pulling, because it pulls back the projections. It's not her fault, his fault, their fault. It's my responsibility now to get my life back into a direction of sanity, but I can only be restored to sanity by something bigger than my ego. How do I get there? Keep going to the meetings until it happens. So that's how we help. We try to direct people in that way. Okay, another question? Thank you for bringing the mic around. Just for, for clarification then, um, I think what you're saying is if I see someone controlling and that affects me, it bothers me, then I look within and I see that I have some of those qualities. Yes. Then I look for the gold in that, the golden kernels. Yes. Is that, how does, where, where does it come in where that, my being affected by the person who's controlling or even being affected by my own controlling, despising that maybe in myself as well. Where do, how does that fit in? The despising goes out the window when the excitement has been turned to the golden kernel and to how our lives can be upgraded by this new practice. What is this practice? to withdraw the projections and to bring the whole thing back to a question of myself. What do I have to work on? Something like the question in the, old, in the New Testament. What then shall I do? That, that's the only question that remains. What then shall I do? It will never be about why is he like that? Because that interest has been, um, shall we say, taken over by the bigger interest in what can I make of this for myself so that I can become an enlightened person, so that I can act with more love and wisdom in the world. When that becomes our main concern and focus, what other people do is viewed with compassion and amusement. It no longer has the power to impinge upon our serenity. Because everything has been put, expressed very well actually by the, by the words of John Woolman in the uh, 18th century Quaker diary, his diary. He was a abolitionist. 
and he says, now everything I do goes into the channel of universal love. Imagine getting to that point. Now everything I do is going into the channel of universal love. Thank you. And some of this happens by special grace. It's not something that you can even work toward. Okay, let's have two more questions. We have, okay. Uh, thank you. Um, so continuing on that issue, of, I understand how it would be very helpful to um, take the negative shadow of being controlling, seeing it in yourself and doing affirmations, but then do you have suggestions about how do you work with the reality of there still are those negative qualities associated, say, with being controlling or whatever the negative shadow is, you know, where maybe you're riding roughshod over other people's feelings or you always think you're right or all of those negative things. Do, are you saying you just don't pay attention to those or is there a way to work with those aspects of the negative? Well, if your ego has been reduced to bite size, <laughs> then it's easy to call yourself on those behaviors and want to reform them. Why would I want to reform them? Because they lead to happiness, love, compassion, and equanimity. The four limitless qualities in every single human psyche. So I call myself on those and I say, um, that approach doesn't work. How do I find the golden kernel that I've been disregarding? How do I put that into practice and let that take the place of the extreme excess defect? How do I come back to the center? Our practice helps us do this because it is about equanimity. So we've been seeing throughout the day that so many of the Buddhist practices easily help us do the psychological work. That's what my belief that I'm trying to get across. That's why it has wisdom that Freud could never know because he looks only at... Um, the various energies inside the human and how he can analyze those, abreact with the feelings, and somehow resolve them. But he knows nothing of the no-mind that has the vast space. What space? The space of the... Um, endless wastes in the autumn under the empty autumn sky stretch the endless wastes where no one goes who is that horseman riding in from the west the birthplace of the buddhas is the west who is that 
horsemen of enlightenment riding in from the West. He knew nothing of this. So he could only take us to the iceberg. He could only point to the iceberg and say, look, only the tip of the iceberg is conscious and making choices. But so many of your choices are being made from the frozen part that's underneath that's so big and overwhelming. I can show you ways to melt that. Yes, he helps us there. And it was wonderful that he came along to help us. But this other feature that we found, a horseman riding in from the west, that could only come from our Buddhist practice. And that um, expands the program of becoming healthier and makes it into something that transcends the possibility of only becoming what Psychology 101 describes as the healthy person. Because we're going for bigger stakes now. We're going for, how can I be a person of love, compassion, joy, and equanimity? Rather than Psych 101, how can I be a person who functionally works toward my goals and has effective relationships? Psychology won't get us to this fuller human project. Only a spiritual practice will. Okay, there was another question. Yes, right in the back. Hi, I have, um, let's see if you can help me think through this um, idea of projection <clears throat> and a way that kind of bridges both um, maybe a collective projection, but also our personal projection, our personal shadow and a collective shadow. When our work brings us into close encounters with people who um, maybe it's more than controlling, maybe it's, it's rape and violence and these aspects and the projections that are associated with people who are very dangerous. Well, that's a very good point. He's saying <clears throat> what happens when you meet the Shadow incarnate. The only answer is run the other way. Call 911. Don't hang around. Because we can't do the work on the shadow of someone else. We can only hold it with them in an intimate relationship, help bring it out gently, and help them see the path through example, but when we meet up with somebody dangerous in society, we're not equipped to handle that kind of a shadow. So we have to back off, get away from it. There is no program except run. Thank you. Okay, let's have one final question. I wasn't keeping track, but let's just say one final. Oh, hold it. She has the this person right here. Uh, relating to that, what is the golden kernel of uh, what he was? Yeah, of that level of violence. Um, she's saying, what's the golden kernel of the violence of aggression? 
It's the ability to go for what you want without letting anything get in the way, not even the rules. And there are times when that is appropriate, except a criminal does it in ways that trespass on others' rights. But there are times when, when we can be powerful enough to go for something uh, even when we put our lives at stake. So that would be the golden kernel of it. Well, I'd like to end with a poem, but before I do, um, I'd like to say thank you to everyone for the intelligent level of dialogue that we've been able to have on this very difficult topic. And um, it's not my favorite of all my topics, but I hope that I have done it justice in some way. And I really like how you all participated in the program. So thank you. And I'd like to end with this beautiful poem. <clears throat> it's part of a longer poem by Samuel Taylor Coleridge called The Rhyme of the Ancient Mariner, which I'm sure you read in high school. <clears throat> but in this poem, the uh, mariner is describing how during the voyage, he looked with disgust upon the water snakes and the ugly serpents and monsters of the sea, sea representing the unconscious. And somehow, in the, you'll, as you'll hear, he found, um, he, 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 he looked upon them with repulsion, but through a special grace, he found a way to see their beauty. And that's what allowed him to, bring, to pull back the projections. And I, I'm, I'm closing with this poem because I want to make the final point that even though we have practices for working with our shadow, they cannot compete with the power of grace the little special moment that comes along in the course of life, which you can't conjure, that somehow wakes you up and shows you where your work is and how to do it. And this happens in the poem, as you will hear. It's, he didn't make it happen. It just happens wonderfully. And uh, he uses the Christian word saint, and I'm seeing that as a metaphor for grace. What is grace? The special gift to put all this together and uh, just let it happen, even without having to do much work, which you'll also see in the poem. And let's see, final thing is that um, at this part of the poem, he has killed the albatross the bird of good omen, for no good reason. In other words, unconscious motivation. He has been dying of thirst 
because there's nothing to drink but seawater. All the crew has died, and he also can't sleep. Alone, alone, all, all alone. Alone on a wide, wide sea. And never a saint took pity on my soul in agony. A thousand, thousand slimy things lived on, and so did I. The moving moon went up the sky, and nowhere did abide. Softly she was going up with a star or two beside. Her beams bemocked the sultry main like April hoarfrost spread. And where the ship's huge shadow lay, the charmed water burnt alway, a still and awful red. Beyond the shadow of the ship, I watched the water snakes. They moved in tracks of shining white, and when they reared, an elfish light fell off in hoary flakes. Beyond the shadow of the ship, I watched their rich attire, blue, glossy green, and velvet black. They coiled and swam, and every track was a flame of golden fire. Oh, happy living things, no tongue their beauty might declare. A spring of love gushed from my heart, and I blessed them unaware. Sure, some kind saint took pity on me, and I blessed them unaware. The selfsame moment I could pray, and from my neck so free, the albatross fell off and sank like lead into the sea. Ah, sleep, it is a gentle thing, beloved from pole to pole, to Mary, Queen, the praise be given. She sent the gentle sleep from heaven that slid into my soul. Thank you all. <clears throat> Thank you for listening. To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit dharmaseed.org slash donate.